Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. sort of stay in theme with where we are, we're going to be talking about Emmanuel, amen, Sister Mia just sang about Emmanuel, amen, we're going to pray and ask the Lord to just touch his word to our heart, we're happy to have Sister Tabitha's daughters with us today in service, and I told them before church that I would ask them to come and sing, and so this is the point in the service, <laughs> if you were wondering, no, I'm teasing them, and but uh, I did tell them that, but uh we're glad that they're here, and we sure love your mom and Danny, and we're glad that you're all here a part of our church service today. The book of Isaiah, chapter 7, and verse number 14, I'll tell you this, if you have your Bibles, and if you want to just keep them open to Isaiah 7, we're going to kind of go above verse 7 and below verse 7, and I'm going to have as much mercy, the same kind of mercy Sister Amanda extended to you today, not to talk about all of those 80 verses I'm going to extend that same thing. I was going to just take take them all, and she shamed me this morning, and so I'm just going to, I'm teasing. And uh, But we are going to kind of bounce above and below there, so just kind of keep that open. Amen. The, and the, the Isaiah 7 and 14, uh, the scripture among this that we recognize, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. And so today, I want to. My subject is this: the prophecy of Emmanuel. But I just want to. Uh, I want to talk about how all of this came about, and let's just kind of step back into Isaiah, and let's talk about the historical and biblical context of this particular scripture. Amen. You can be seated, and what a privilege it is to be with you today in the house of God. The portion of Isaiah that we are um, looking at is certainly priceless for every born-again Christian because this is the part of the Bible that gives us the prophecy about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ and so this morning as I said I want to I want to not just take a little razor knife and slice this one scripture out and talk about this but I want to take this scripture and set it back into the setting and the context of all that led up to these words coming from Isaiah. I think it is very, very important for everyone to understand that Christians didn't come up with the idea of this virgin birth out of the clear blue. I mean, this is not just something we kind of hashed out in a, in a room somewhere and thought, well, this, would make, this would make a neat thing to sing about. This would be a neat thing to preach about or teach about. But this was something that God set into motion. The prophecy of Isaiah 7 and 14 arose during a, an incredibly difficult time in the history of the Jewish nation and the Jewish people. 
Isaiah 7 and 1 talks about a king by the name of Rezon of Amram and King Pekah of Israel and how they were attacking Jerusalem, the capital city. And so it was a time of great besiege. They weren't really able to overtake the capital city, but they did cause an incredible amount of damage and, and uh, it was a great upset, caused a lot of problems. And I think that there's two important things to remember when we consider the setting of the scripture, and that is the fact that the Jewish people were not wholly or completely following the Lord like they knew that they should during this particular time in history. As a matter of fact, the books of First and Second Chronicles are chronicles. They are history books, and they teach us and tell us about various events of Scripture. And so when we think about Isaiah 7 in this particular setting, we can find its historical record in 2 Chronicles 28. And in 2 Chronicles 28, the Bible says that, that Judah had forsaken the Lord God, their fathers. And so this is the setting in which all of this is born. We've got God's own elect that have forsaken the, the Lord, the God of their fathers. And I'll just tell you that when you reject God, where else can you turn? When you say no to God, you have set yourself in a very vulnerable position both spiritually and physically. Secondly, Ahaz, the king, was one of the most wicked kings that the country had ever had in all of its history. And if you know Bible history, that's a broad statement because they had some wicked kings. And so when you take one man and pull him to the top of the heap and say this was the most wicked man... Again, if we went to 2 Chronicles 28, we can find out how this man reached this level of notoriety of being the most wicked ruler. The Bible says that he made idols to worship Baal in just the first three verses of chapter 28 of 2 Chronicles. In just the first three verses, this is what we read, that he made idols to worship Baal. He burned incense in the high places to all false gods. And thirdly, he even sacrificed his own children as burnt offerings to idols. So when you say, this is the most wicked man I have ever met, he didn't just stumble upon that title. With great intention, this wicked man became known as one of the worst rulers or the most wicked rulers of all time. However, in Isaiah 7 and 2, when they found out that Amram and Ephraim uh, had united together to attack them. The Bible says of this most wicked ruler, who really in many respects we would say he didn't fear anything, but in fact we find that he did. The Bible says when he heard that, that his uh, arch enemies had combined, had joined forces and was going to come against him, the scripture says in Isaiah 7 and 2 that the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest that are shaken by the wind. And so even the most wicked person can be brought to a place of humility. And so when he found out that he had some formidable foes that were coming up against him, they were teaming up against him, he began to shake and quake like trees shaken in the wind, and it didn't seem like there was any way out. In Isaiah 7 and 3, 
God in his mercy extended one more time a hand and a space of grace to the people of Judah. The Lord tells Isaiah, his prophet, in the midst of all of this chaos, in the midst of all of this mess, the Lord said, Isaiah, I need you to go and meet Ahaz. I need you to meet this wicked king. I want you to meet him at the end of the conduit, which is by the upper pool. And uh, we, what we really need to understand is that water has always been a precious commodity and it didn't always just freely flow inside homes. But you went to common places to collect water. And so when you talk about the conduit, that would be in, in truth exactly what it was. That conduit was put together in the upper pools and it was brought down the mountain so that fresh water would flow down the mountain and then there would be a common place, the upper pool, the common place where the city's water supply would be. So this would be a common meeting place. And so the Lord said to Isaiah, he said, I want you to meet Ahaz. He's, getting, he's pretty shaken about the news that he's found and I want you to meet him at the upper pool, I want you to meet him at this common place. And I have a message for you to give him. And this message is this. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Everything's going to be all right. Ahaz is kind of like us. You know, that's kind of a strange thing to hear when you've got people attacking you that really have the ability to do you harm. And as a matter of fact, even do you in. He's coming under attack, and here comes the prophet of God. You know, can't you just see him got his big family Bible tucked under his arm, said, I got a word from the Lord for you. And the word from the Lord for you today is just chill out. <laughs> it's all going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. Well, sometimes we're just not quite in the mood to hear everything's going to be all right. Because it's easy for us to think that the person that's telling us that everything's going to be all right is going to go back home to their safe nest where all the hell is not coming against them. And we're going to have to go into our own world and live with our own peril and our own trouble. But he said, don't be afraid. Now, one reason that Ahaz was scared was because he knew he was not in right relationship with God. Amen. That's the absolute truth. He knew Here's the man of God saying everything's going to be all right. But he had reason to fear because he knew he was not right in right standing with God. I don't want to sound crass or, or unethical or uncouth here today. But through the years, I've had the opportunity to walk with various people through trying seasons of their life. I've been there to pray for people who were believers. And I've been there to pray for people who were not believers. I've been there to pray for people who were I mean, they were right where they needed to be with God as far as anyone could tell. And then sometimes it has been friends and family members that have requested for us to go to hospital rooms and, and various places and pray for my aunt or pray for my uncle. And to be honest with you, I've been there to pray for people who didn't want me to there to pray for them. Oh, the joy. They weren't thrilled to see me. And so I've prayed for believers and I prayed for non-believers and I can tell you there's a marked difference because people without faith seem to have far more fear and uncertainty and rightly so. However, not to spend too much time on that, those who have made as the scripture says their peace call 
an election sure. I've held their hands and I've prayed prayers for them and that's an altogether different situation because I have prayed for people who were facing tall mountains of uncertainty but they would look at me and say things like, thank God I don't have to go through this situation alone. Amen. The word of the Lord is going to be my strength and it's going to be my staff and God said he would never leave me nor forsake me. Many of them have had personal testimonies of heavenly visitations, whether you ever how you want to define that heavenly visitations or heavenly assurances that God was going to hold them and keep them. Amen. They're the ones that, like Apostle Paul, would say things like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. These are not the words of a madman. These are not the words of someone who's slipped a few gears or lost their mind. No, these are someone who understands that if I stay here, it'll be all right. If I go there, it'll be all right. I'm going to have the Lord either way. Isaiah goes on to say something quite interesting. I'm going to bring this to you in a couple of different versions of the Bible because I want us to understand it. He, Isaiah says to Ahaz concerning these two rulers that are coming against him or these two warriors and armies that are coming against him. He says, now, I, I want you to not fear. And he said, or be faint-hearted. And then this is what Isaiah called them. This is what the Lord called them because Isaiah is really just a mouthpiece. He said, don't fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking Firebrands. Amen. Some of you can't hardly wait to get to work tomorrow to use that, can you? Somebody makes you mad, just say, you old stub of a firebrand. <laughs> Sound all King James once. I'm sure they'll get it. In another translation, it says, don't let your heart faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. That's not really insulting for us, is it? Because we're in the 21st century and our vernacular is much different. But Ahaz got it. Isaiah got it. Amen. It seems like an odd thing for us to say, but if you've ever seen a burned out fire, then you've seen sometimes stubs of wood that didn't burn all the way. And they're just black coal and it's... And, and, and you can't really use that. You can't restart that later. You can't just say, well, we're going to start over again tomorrow. You're going to have to have some fresh fire, fresh wood, fresh fuel if you're going to do that. And so what he was saying, these things that are just like black coal, I want you to know they're useless. You, there's nothing to fear. Isaiah is saying the same thing is true with these kings is that they are burned stumps. You can't tell that right now, but they're useless. They're just burned out stubs of wood and they cannot hurt you. Now the truth is that compared to the power of God, all of our enemies and all of our problems can fit into that category. They're just burned out stubs. And then in the following verses, we get a picture of what the kings of Amram and Israel were thinking. This was their master plan, but God was about to put his hand against this. These two kings were saying, we're going to kill Ahaz, and we're not really so much after Ahaz as much as we are his children because we have got to stop the seed. We've got to put a plug in the end of this thing. We've got to stop the flow of what's going on. Amen. We're going to kill Ahaz, 
and we're going to kill his children and then we're going to divide the country among ourselves and we're going to put our own king in place. This is our plan. We're going to annihilate. We're going to do away with all of this. The only problem with their plan is that their plan went against God's plan. <laughs> Amen. Just stay with me for a little while. The plan of God was for Jesus Christ to be born of a virgin in the line of David. Amen. To be in the line of David, what was ahead of David was a man by the name of Ahaz. And so we can't kill Ahaz because there is a Savior that's going to be born and it's got to come from Ahaz. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so if Ahaz and his descendants are murdered, then the plan of God is going to be stymied. Now, Ahaz thinks that his enemy is very formidable, but God said they're nothing. And don't you fear, I've got this. Amen. They can plan and they can plot and they can maneuver here and they can maneuver there. Amen. Because they are working against the house of David. They're working against the hand of God. And can I tell you that what God has set in place, man cannot take down. Amen. What God has promised, amen. What God has promised, what God has set in motion, Man can frustrate, man can tempt, and man can try to frustrate the process, but you can't stop the hand of God. Amen. So here is Ahaz who is fearing for men who are working to try to take down his whole family. They're going to snuff out the seed of Ahaz, but God in heaven says, I can't do that. I can't do that. I need the seed of Ahaz because there's got to be a David because there's got to be a Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm thankful today that when I know God has made us a promise, when God has given us a word, what we need to do is say, Lord, I'm going to hold on to that. In the most turbulent storm, I'm going to hold on to that. In the driest season of my life, I'm going to hold on to that because their plan is going to come to nothing. So it is in this context this is the setting we've circled the wagons now about the prophecy of Isaiah at the end of verse 9 God says something very very significant to Ahaz he says this to Ahaz I want to say it to all of us if you don't stand firm in your faith you will not stand firm at all. Amen. Amen. That is the end of verse 9. If you don't stand true in your faith, then you're not going to be able to stand at all. Amen. I've heard men of old say it a different way. They said if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. You've got to stand firm in your faith. In other words, the Lord was saying something to Ahaz. This is a, a, a particular pivotal moment, if you please, in his life. What the Lord was saying is Ahaz, it's decision time. You've got to decide which side of this you're going to be on. Amen. I'm giving you a chance to stop your idol worshiping. I'm giving you an opportunity to start to start putting all your faith in the Lord. If you don't stand in your faith, then you're not going to stand firm on anything. And then in verses 10 and 11, the Lord gives him a tremendous offer. I want to tell you, if you got your Bibles, this will be worth reading alone. Amen. One of the greatest offers I believe that God has ever given any man, in particular any person in, in the Old Testament, he says this, he said, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether it is in the deepest of the depths 
are in the highest of the heights. Just ask God for a sign. Just ask me what you will. If you ask me for anything you want, I will do whatever you ask me to prove that I'm trustworthy. Whatever you throw out there that you think is necessary for me to prove that you can trust me, you just ask me. Now, I get it that I've had a chance to think about these scriptures longer than you have today. (laughs) But just think about that for a moment. The Lord just pops down and says, Bobby, you just say it. Whatever you think I need to do to prove that you can trust me, just ask me. Wow. Wow. You, you just say it, and I'll do it. When I read through this passage, I just had to pause and wonder what I would do if that were to happen to me. If God were to just somehow manifest himself and say, whatever I need to do to prove that you can trust me, I'll give you that so we can walk forward together in this. Now, I want us to pay careful attention to what Ahaz did. This is how Ahaz handled that situation. In verse 12, it sounds kind of neat at first if you miss the meaning. Ahaz says, well, I will not ask because I don't want to really test the Lord. I don't want to test the Lord. God said, I'll do anything you want me to do so you know you can trust me. And his response is, well, I don't want to bother the Lord. I want to test the Lord. He misses the opportunity of a lifetime by misunderstanding a very important principle. And that principle is this. You're not testing God, and I'm not testing God, if we just walk into what he's asked us to do. If God said, like like Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, follow me. Well, I don't know if I want to follow you and put you all that trouble and try to tell you. You're not testing God. I'm not testing God. If God gives us a command and we step out into that command, amen, he said, I just am not going to test the Lord. But really, I think what Ahaz was saying is he wasn't so much saying, I don't want to test the Lord, as he was saying, I don't know if I want to trust the Lord. Amen? Is everybody all right? (laughs) Because sometimes we can just kind of cloak all this in righteousness and really and truly... It's not that we don't want to test God. We're not sure we can trust God. And so we'll just kind of hold ourselves to where we are. And so at first glance, this may appear to be a man struggling with his faith. But I want to tell you that again, if we go to Chronicles, there's more to the story. And God knows because God is digging down because he knows the thought and the intent of our heart. God knows what we're thinking about doing tomorrow. He knows what we're thinking about doing next weekend. God knows the plans that we're making into our future. Amen. Ahaz wasn't wanting to trust God for what in his mind was a very good reason. And again, that reason is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Ahaz has already decided that I'm not going to trust the Lord, but I'm going to trust the king of Assyria. I'm going to put my hand and my trust and my confidence in man. I'm going to find me somebody that I think can win this battle for me, and I'm going to put my confidence there. He already had a plan in place. Amen. He already had a plan. I'm going to do this myself. And so I'm not going to make this declaration. He didn't want to trust God. He wanted to trust in the arm of the flesh. Furthermore, I will take this one step further. I believe that he, like many people today, was afraid that God would do something. 
if he asked for a sign, and then he would have to change his lifestyle. He'd have to make some commitments over here and some commitments over there. Can I tell you, this morning I I'm just feel that bold in the Holy Ghost that there, there are some prayers people don't want God to answer because it would constitute change in their life. Amen. There's some things that some people don't want God to reveal to them because it would constitute change on their part. So I'm just going to live here at a level of spiritual ignorance. I'm going to live here and I'm going to live below the means of what God has for me because Lord, don't talk too plain and don't reveal too clearly because that means I'm going to have to walk a different direction. I'm going to have to think in a different path. I feel the Holy Ghost in what I'm saying here today. Ahaz said, well, I don't want to trust God or I don't want to test God. God, but he was really saying, I don't know if I want to trust God because if God tells me something I don't want to hear, I'm going to be responsible for that. Amen. Now this brings me to my last point. Ahaz refuses to let God demonstrate that he can do what he says. So in verses 13 and 14, God says, since you don't have the faith to ask me for a sign, I'm going to give you one anyway. Since Ahaz would not ask the Lord for a sign, then God now doesn't just before, right up to this moment, God through Isaiah is speaking to Ahaz and Ahaz only. But now when Ahaz says, I don't know about this, God says, I'm gonna, you don't want it, but I'm going to give you a sign anyway. But I think we should carefully note that when the Isaiah speaks again in verse 13, he's not just addressing Ahaz, but he's addressing the entire house of David. If you don't want it, somebody behind you does. <laughs> and I'm going to give you a word. I'm going to give you a sign. And he said in verse 13, and he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, I'm going to speak broader than Ahaz. I'm going to speak, amen, into the future. He said, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Verse 14, here's our text. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Amen. Isaiah, as I've often said, I don't want to try to ever to leave anybody with the impression that I think that we're trying to water down the faith or the confidence that these men may have had in their God and in their relationship with God. But I don't know how Isaiah and others felt when they got through with these bold declarations. I mean, Sometimes the Lord has used me to say things and I've gone home thinking, oh man, I don't know if I got that right. <laughs> Is there anybody that won't leave me here to drown in this puddle? <laughs> okay. I'd sure appreciate You don't have to get up and run around the building, but just look like you understand. That'll, I'll settle for that. But you just felt like God just really gave you something and you just spoke it and boy, you get home and after a while the Lord is like, I mean not the Lord, but after a while you're on self-doubt. You're just, man, you just grade yourself and grade yourself and grade yourself. I'm not suggesting that happened, but you know, I don't know. They are just human and they are just flesh and blood like you and I. And so Isaiah is standing here at this common pool and he's just blurting this out. 
well, you don't want it, so I'll just speak to the house of David. I'll just speak to generations to come. The Lord shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Did Isaiah ever wonder at night down the road? I wonder what that's all about. A virgin would conceive. He is a man of logic, perhaps. And Isaiah left this world with those words ringing for generations to come. As a matter of fact, they would ring some 730 years. I think for a little while, it's possible, a few years down the road, some cynics are saying, <laughs> remember what old Isaiah said before he died? But somewhere, time probably eroded all those memories when decades turned to centuries. Amen. But in Matthew 122, all, the Bible says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord <laughs> had said through the prophet, the virgin shall be with child and will give us birth to a son and we're going to call his name Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. Now, I'm eternally thankful today for the knowledge that we have God with us. Every time today, and I'm sure it's because our senses are focused around what we're doing as, even as, as a society or not, as a nation, but every time today, and there's been many times that people have mentioned Emmanuel, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. In my mind, it just echoed God with us, God with us, God with us, God with us. I'm so thankful for the knowledge that we have God with us today. And so can I tell you this morning that this season represents far more than just family time and a day off. But this is about a living God who came to earth to sacrificially meet the needs of a world that was lost and dying. That innocent baby, as it's already been, already been stated more than once today in this service, who could have come and introduced himself to the world in many, many ways. But the, but the word that we heard this morning is that, that that child, this Christ child came dependent. This Christ child came incognito, swaddling clothes in a manger. Amen. But it was far more than what met the eye. He would grow his way not only to the temple at the age 12. He would grow his way not only to signs, miracles, and wonders, but he would grow his way to Calvary's cross and pay a ransom for our sins. And through his shed blood, our redemption would be made possible. And I'm thankful today to know the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Would you stand? If you're here today and you've not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, do you know that's a gift you can have? Today, today, because it's Emmanuel, God with us. We're not just here hanging out with God for a little while. God didn't just show up at 10 this morning because he saw all of us getting dressed and figured out where we were going, so he kind of scurried in here to be with us. He's with us, God in us. Amen. I don't want to be like Ahaz and say, well, 
I don't want to test the Lord. Or I don't want to be like Ahaz and say, Lord, I'm scared you're going to ask me to do something that I don't know if I'm willing to do. Because if God is calling you today, he will equip you. And there is nothing to fear. I can stand like Isaiah and say, don't worry about that. God will take care of this. I can stand like Isaiah and say, you don't have to fear that over there. They're just burned out stumps of wood. They're going to come to nothing. As a matter of fact, not to just belabor the issue, but before it was all said and done, you can read in your Bible, that the two kings that Ahaz was the most worried about all met their end. And they weren't able to accomplish anything that they had in their mind because God said, I'm going to make sure. I'm going to make sure. I'm going to snuff them out. So he didn't say, you don't have to worry about them and then just some kind of, you know, some way just build a fence around Ahaz. God took these men off the scene. And God took their agenda off the scene. So can I tell you today that whatever it is that God would call us to do, we can do that. And whatever it is that we're worried about, God will take care of that. And whatever it is that you see as impossibility, God will say, I'll make that possible. Amen. Because he is Emmanuel, God with us. And so when Isaiah made this promise, or when God made this promise through the mouth of Isaiah, we need to understand there wasn't a choir in the background singing. <laughs> that wasn't the setting of this prophecy. The prophecy was, Ahaz, if you don't want this, somebody does. And I tell you today alarmingly, if you don't want this, somebody does. Somebody does. Amen. God help us today to respond to the calling of the hand of, the hand of God. Amen. Let's magnify and worship Him today. If you need anything from the Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.